Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. Somehow, someway, we made it to another weekend and also a whole other month. Coming up, we will hear the tuba like never before. That is Dr. Richard Antoine White, and he just wrote a great memoir called I Am Possible. But first, we're talking to another trailblazer turned author, Skylar Baylor. Skylar was the first out trans NCAA Division I athlete to compete on a men's team. His new middle grade book is called Obi is Man Enough, and it's about Obi, a 13-year-old biracial kid who's going through a lot of changes. He's trans, he's finally swimming on the boys' team, and he's good. But not everyone in his life is supportive of him, including his former swim coach. I have not stopped thinking about this book and recommending it since I read it, so I'm so glad Skylar is with us now. Skylar, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here. Oh my gosh. I just loved this book so much. Um, I want to start with some of the similarities that you and Obi share. As I mentioned, you and Obi are both swimmers. You're both biracial with one Korean American parent and one white one. You're both trans men. Um, obviously, you and Obi are not the same person, but I feel like in a lot of ways, this it at least felt like a really personal book. I'm curious what else you and Obi have in common. You're absolutely correct. There's a lot of similarities between me and Obi, and Obi is also completely a fictional character. Um, I wrote those specific things, biracial, Korean-American, transgender, swimmer, um, to be the same because I, I, I didn't have that kind of representation when I was a kid, and I wanted I wanted to provide that. I want there to be a story about a Korean-American transgender swimmer, right? Um, there are other similarities. Uh, I have a brother. Um, I like sandwiches. I like pickles. I like mayonnaise. I don't like... Um, I don't like... Uh, uh, um, honey mustard at all, and that and my brother does. So there's lots of little things I'd say that are similar, but in in terms of Obi's life, a lot of things are not. So there's also a bully in this book, and he's a pretty awful human. He says some really atrocious things. He's violent. Um, I feel like we don't spend so much time with him that it feels like you're bending over backwards to explain why he is the way he mm-hmm. is. But we do still get enough of a sense that things are actually really hard for him, too. Yeah. I'm curious how you figured out how to have kind of that conversation about him without being like apologist about bigots. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I I guess the first inspiration is that I have people like that in my life, right? Mm -hmm. I I have, I have experienced people in my life who are real people who have been loving towards me in my life, who have shifted through my transition. Um, and I can see that they're real people and them not accepting my transition and my transness doesn't suddenly destroy or erase every connection we had prior to that. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think that is a grief that I hold very close to my heart and, and in my life as I walk through the world, because every person who has ever shown me hatred is also a person. And that doesn't mean that I necessarily 
um, it, it doesn't mean that I say it's okay, right? It doesn't mean I'm like, oh, they, they have hate, that's fine, they're human, right? That's not what I mean. It's, it's never okay. And at the same time, these people are real people, and there's a reason that they're like that. And I was hoping that as people read this, they could see some humanity in some of these characters that are really uh, unkind, <laughs> really yeah. mean, really transphobic to Obi. And if they have been like that, maybe, or just a shred of that, realize, okay, I understand why this person is like that, but I don't want to be that person, right? And, and maybe there's a way to humanize a little bit more and call people in as opposed to calling people out. Yeah, I thought it was just a really like empathetic and generous portrayal. A lot of times, I think in kids' books, the villains are just bad. That's it, right? <laughs> and B, yeah. it's easy to see them as just the bad guys, capital T, capital B, capital G. And mm -hmm. it's just not that simple. For sure. I thought there was a really nice scene towards the end of the book where, uh, without giving too much away, where Obi does kind of get some validation from a an adult in his life who is really cruel to mm -hmm. him also. And I loved that scene, too, because, you know, he doesn't say thank you. He doesn't say, like, I really appreciate you, like, coming around to this side. He just kind of he just kind of like nods and walks away. Yeah, I, I really did that intentionally. Um, I didn't want the message to be that a kid or anybody who's trans should look for the validation of cis people um, and the people who hurt them, right? I didn't want that to be the solution um, and that to be the thing that finally makes Obi realize he is enough, right? Um, I wanted Obi to come to that on his own. And so, and he, and he does, right? And, and that's something mm -hmm. that I think is really, really important in understanding in my life as well. I can't rely on the people who, who, um, invalidate or don't believe in my manhood to believe in and validate my manhood, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Even if they eventually do, that can't be the thing that makes me feel like I am man enough. I have to feel that way. So there's another character in this book named Tommy, and he's another trans swimmer. He's a little older. He's already in college. And at first, it seems like Obi is a little annoyed that like his coach and his parents are trying to get him to meet this person, you know, because he's sort right. of like, I don't know, like, do we really have that much in common? Like, is it going to be weird? Um, and they end up having like a really profound relationship. And it's largely through texting, which I think is also so sweet. <laughs> um, I don't know. I was just curious, like as a person, you know, you made headlines being the first. Right. Were there still role models? Were there still people who you were able to kind of check in with in the way Obi was able to with Tommy to be like, hey, what's your read on this or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, the short answer is no. I, I think I felt extremely alone in many ways during my journey. Um, and I it's not that I didn't have people in my corner. I did. But nobody was going through what I was going through. So I think I just, especially my first year, I felt really, really alone. Mm -hmm. um, and I didn't know who to ask what. And I, I, I often also felt that I was the provider of advice rather than the other way around because I was so open about my experience that I very quickly became a public figure in this space. Um, that the, There were headlines before I even joined college. Um, I think I struggled a lot with not being able to say, hey, I'm having this experience that I know you've had the same. Tell me how you dealt with it, right? Um, and I reached out to trans people. I had a, there's a trans masculine support group that I went to in Boston when I was in college. But it just nobody. There's there's something very specific about the experience of being on a sports team as a trans person that I think just nobody else could really get like I did. Um, and I and I really had to shoulder that alone in many ways. Um, and I and I wanted Obi 
to not, (laughs) because I want kids to know that that's more how it's going to be, right? There there are more people out now. There are people to connect with, and you might be resistant to connecting with people. Um, And I've seen that happen in my life, and I wanted to put that in there as well. I'm sorry to hear that it was such an isolating experience for you, but I'm, I don't know, I'm grateful that you've been as vocal about it as you have. And I hope a book like this kind of just helps keep expanding that conversation, you know? Yeah, me too. And I appreciate the empathy. And um, I am also, I think, sorry that I didn't have the connections that I, that I felt I needed. And I think, I don't know how this sounds, but somebody had to do that, right? And I, and I'm very grateful for the ability to do it. I can't help but think about the timing of your book coming out in terms of, you know, how many state level incursions on the rights of trans athletes we've been seeing over the past year. Um, What does it mean to you to be telling the story of a young athlete who faces transphobia given that context? Yeah. Um, It's a really important moment in time to have this book out now. Um, there's been over a hundred anti-transgender legislative bills in state legislatures around the country in the past year, which is a record breaking number. And all of them are focused on trans kids. Mm. These are two, two sort of separate sections of bills. One is in sports. So barring trans kids from competing on a team that aligns with their gender identity. So for example, Obi would not be able to compete as a boy. Um, and the second half of the bills are attacking trans kids in healthcare, which bars or sometimes criminalizes literally a criminal offense for a doctor to provide gender affirming healthcare to a trans child. Um, both of these things are awful. <laughs> um, healthcare, gender affirming healthcare saves lives. So criminalizing that is essentially contributing to suicide of kids yeah. right and then the other side is is barring trans kids from competing in sport which is just pure and and textbook discrimination both of these things are things that are addressed in the book rather not not the rules of course but obi does go to the doctor and, and receive gender affirming health care and obi obviously competes on a boy's team so i think that it's really a, a meaningful moment to have this story out there especially one that um in in my hope you root for obi the book is designed to have you root for obi in every way shape and form um and Hopefully, I think people who are on the edge of something will read it and say, gosh, I want OB to win. I want OB to, and not just in the pool, but I want him to win everywhere. Mm -hmm. And hopefully that can draw you in to humanizing trans people more so and also humanizing trans kids especially because I think that trans kids are so often adultified and demonized and and honestly vilified as these, you know, crazy people who just want to, you know, get surgery to cut off whatever, whatever. And that's not who we are. You know, we're real people with real lives and our transness is just one of the facets of our of our multidimensional humanity what's your advice to a young person who maybe is kind of uncertain about where they fit in or or where they belong i always tell kids that what other people say about us is not always fact mm-hmm. i think especially when we're when we're trans people where the world oftentimes tries to invalidate or take our truths from us it is so important for us to remember that our truths are ours and somebody else can have an opinion about our truth and maybe it's even their truth that i'm not a man in their world okay but i know myself and my truth is that i am a man and nobody else can take that from me Skylar, thank you so much. This was really a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you so much for having me, Greta. After the break, we sit down with Richard Antoine White, who's taking the tuba to new heights. Or should we say depths?
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Did you know that basketball players have a better chance of landing in the NBA than musicians do of scoring a seat in a professional orchestra? And unfortunately, but probably not surprisingly, those odds look a lot worse if you're not white. A recent survey reported that less than 15% of orchestral musicians in America are people of color. Our next guest knows a thing or two about those odds. His name is Dr. Richard Antoine White. He grew up homeless in Baltimore and began seriously pursuing music as a teenager. Now he's a tuba player in the New Mexico Philharmonic and professor at the University of New Mexico. He was the first African-American to earn a doctorate in tuba performance. He just wrote a book. It's called I Am Possible, a story of survival, a tuba, and the small miracle of a big dream. Richard is with us now. Richard, hello. Hello. How are you? Thanks for having me on. I'm good. Thank you so much for coming on. So... As a kid, you started on the trumpet, but then you switched to the tuba, which is a pretty unique instrument. Is that why you picked it? Totally. Like I looked up and saw this, what we call a sousaphone. That's the tuba you wear. You see it in marching band. It was one player. And I said, I want to play that. Don't care. It's only one person back there. That's what I want to play. So right away from very early age of starting the tuba, my intent was to beatbox on the tuba and play all the pop songs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that'll make you stand out for sure. Okay, so I have to know, how do you beatbox and play tuba at the same time? Well, I I could show you more than I could tell you, but... I mean, would you mind? I mean, yeah, I would like to hear that. Uh, Ooh, yes. Those are tuba thumping sounds. Uh, So I'll play bass line. start doing that when i first picked up tuba you know we the band were playing things like the cosby show theme or sanford and son and they had this star system where if you play these tunes you could get a star and he's like well i've never had a tuba player want to get on the star board <laughs> so he started writing the the tunes for tuba obviously it's an accompanying instrument i was like yeah. eh, that's not so cool i mean maybe the trumpet should play that <laughs> flute <laughs> so i started just playing the bass lines and beatboxing Oh my God, that sounds amazing. So I want to talk a little bit about classical music because I feel like so much of what you're great at is sort of the the outreach around the power of music. And I think classical music especially, I mean, it can be seen as so boring. It can be, and bougie, really, right? It's like, you know, to be able to go to a symphony orchestra concert, I mean, for one, you have to live in a place that can afford to have a symphony orchestra, but then you have to be able to afford tickets, right? And like, let alone, you know, having this sort of like, very specific sort of education where you even know what the hell is going on at a concert. Right. Um, what got you so into it? 
First of all, I think there's some myths about classical music. I want everyone to know that whether you're playing classical music, whether you're backing up a famous rapper or whatever, we all choose from the same set of notes. Hmm. What you choose to do with them is between you and you and whomever you're playing with. What uh, drew me most to the tuba is the sense of collaboration. You know, this concept of you have an individual part, but the sum and the collective uh, creativity is greater than the individual. If one person decides to play it in another key, it will sound horrific. <laughs> Just one person, right? The appeal of, of something that uh, I wasn't supposed to do, that I could figure out how to do was attractive, obviously. You know, there's a difference when you're young and you're in trouble and you have to go, oh, I'm mm-hmm. in trouble, or you go, oh, we in trouble. There's this sense of we <laughs> in orchestra. Oh, we gonna play some music? And, you know, regardless of my ethnicity or my background, I'm gonna sit on this stage and do it. Richard, thank you so much for chatting with me about all the things. Your story is just really wonderful, and it's it's just a treat. And thanks for taking out the tuba. Thank you for having me, and I wish everyone much success. Please stay safe, and uh, until we meet again. it for this week before i forget we would still love to hear what you think about the show if you have a hot second we are not keeping this survey up for much longer so do it when you have a chance and if you do fill it out you have a chance to be entered into a drawing for a 50 dollars gift card which is kind of cool you could buy a lot of jelly beans with 50 dollars just head over to wbez.org slash nerdette survey to help us make the show a little better This episode was produced by Anna Bauman and Hannah Edgar. Hannah is moving on to a full-time gig next week, so we bid them adieu and say merci beaucoup and à la prochaine and a bunch of other nice Frenchisms. Our executive producer is Brendan Banaszak. We will see you next week. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Tanwen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.